This morning, would you please turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah in chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 will begin in verse 19 and go all the way to verse 32. A long text today. This is the first of Jeremiah's sermons to the people of Judah. And the topic of the sermon is sin. And this is a fitting subject as we begin our summertime series entitled Seven. And we're going to be exploring the seven deadly sins and the seven life-giving virtues in this series. We're going to call sin, sin this summer. We're not going to call it a mistake. We're not going to call it a oopsie. Uh, We're going to call it what it is. Hear the word of the Lord here in Jeremiah chapter 2. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. How can you say, I am not defiled, I have not run after the bales? See how you behaved in the valley, consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In the heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets. They say to wood, you were my father, and to stone you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have many gods as you have towns. Why do you bring charges against me? You have all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravenous lion. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say, we are free to roam, we will come to you no more? Does a young woman forget her jewelry? a bride, her wedding ornaments, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. This is God's word for us today. And this is a tough word, isn't it? It's, it's, it's tough. This text here is as relevant as it was in ancient days. Jeremiah's society was falling apart. Much like what Dave was praying today. It was falling apart politically and psychologically and socially and culturally. 
it was falling apart. Everyone was asking, what's wrong? Why is this happening in our world today? And well, I think people are asking the same thing today, and they'll point to so many different ills of society. It's not the fault of, the, of politics. It's not the politicians' fault, although we want to blame certain political parties or, or figures. It's not wars or terrorism. Whose fault is it? It's not politics. It's not terrorism. It's not a race issue. It's not economic failure. And it isn't, certainly it isn't, that Russia is meddling with us at all. The answer to what's wrong with our world, it's given by God through the prophet Jeremiah. We'll say it again. We'll say it all summer. It's sin. It's, it's sin. Today we'll talk about the effects of sin in our world around us, and we'll talk about the cure or the healing of sin. And so from our text today, we'll talk about the effects of sin. And number one, as we look at our text, is sin has its own consequences. Sin does. It has its own consequences. Right off the bat, God is saying that, that he's saying, I won't have to discipline or to correct you because in verse 19 in the beginning it says, your wickedness will punish you, your backsliding will rebuke you. It's the same thing. You understand this. You, you, you warn a child, don't play with that toy that way or it'll break. And how many of you said that about something to your kids? Okay, there's, there's plenty. Be careful with that BB gun or you'll... That's right. <laughs> Reminds me of a... I know a guy. Uh, he used to come and fix our copiers in the office. And, uh, and he, was a, he was a real great guy. He's a, a Christian brother, a, a Christ follower. And, uh, and we would talk and he'd be fixing the copiers. And, and I would look at him and, um, you know, as you looked in his eyes, one eye didn't really track... Um, and so, you know, I wasn't going to be that guy and say, hey, what's the deal with your eye, right? I, I, I wasn't going to do that. But we were talking, and he blah, 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 my eye. And I said, well, here's a good opportunity. I mean, I've wanted to ask this question for a long time. What's the deal with your eye? And he said, well, it's a story. He said, it's a, uh, God really taught me in this story. He said, when we were kids, we had BB guns. And we would roam around the neighborhood and shoot each other with BB guns. And my mom told me, don't do that because you're gonna not you know shoot your eye out, but you're gonna you're gonna hurt somebody. And but they just kept on doing it. They, he said they open up their garage doors in the front of their house, you know, in a tract home, and they run around the neighborhood with BB guns and pretend they were in a war and all that. He said I got the perfect hiding place. There was a refrigerator box, you know, one of those big boxes in my garage, and I I hid inside of it, and I could hear people running around looking for me, so I made a hole with my pocket knife in there, and I put the barrel of my BB gun out of it. He says, but I couldn't see where I was shooting. And so I got a knife, my knife, and I put a little hole where I can just peer out and see. And I was in my box, and I heard some guys coming, and I said, I got the perfect plan. And so he sticks a barrel of his BB gun out, and he peers his eye through this little hole. And sure enough, out of a little pinhole in a refrigerator box. When he started firing, his buddy started firing back in a little BB the size of a 
pinhole that he had his eye poked out went right through. He said, I lost my eye. He said, this is a glass eye I have. And he said, I'll never forget the lesson that I learned on that day. Sin has its own consequences. So what do you do despite your warnings when your child plays with a toy inappropriately and it breaks? What do you do? Well, you don't have to do anything because their disobedience brought about the consequence. And sin sin brings about consequences. And the Bible says that if you disobey God, you'll suffer the effects of your own wickedness and your own backsliding. Your heart will break. Your relationships will break. And most of all, your, your, your soul will be broken. Because sin, number one, sin has its own consequences. Now let's take a look at our text for a couple of, of the other consequences that this, spe- this text speaks to us for. And number two is this. Sin has the power to enslave you. Sin has the power to enslave you. Jeremiah says that sin leads us to fall in love and to worship, and to honor, and to obey other gods. Now, the first thing that these gods will do when we worship them is they will enslave us. And so right next to number two, the effect of this is bondage. Write the word bondage right there, right next to number two. In in verse 23 through 25, it says, How can you say, I am not defiled? I have not run after the Baals. The Baals were foreign gods. See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat. Who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they'll find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it is no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. Now, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah here to a bunch of desert people who knew animals. They knew livestock, and their livelihood depended on their animals and livestock. And here's what the people knew. The people knew when animals are in heat, there is no stopping them. In the picture of the animal and the grip of this craving, this this foundational instinct is, is real. Now, the first lesson that we can take from this is this. Sin has the power to enslave what we keep in secret. Sin has the power to enslave what we keep in secret. In verse 23, you, you read that, and it's, it's classic. It says, I am not defiled. I mean, we're, we're saying, I don't have a problem with any of this. But then in verse 25, you read, it's no use. I'm, I don't have a pro- I'm not defiled. I don't have a problem. And then later on you say, it's, just, it's no use. You deny the power of sin in your life, and eventually you'll be brought into despair. And, and you know this. In New Year's resolutions, you, you start the new year and you say, this year I will not lose my temper. All right? This year I will eat healthy This year, I will wear my Fitbit, and I will walk 10,000 steps a day. But maybe a few days to a few weeks later, something comes up, and you say, it's no use. And and we have blind spots in our life, because we don't always know that this is happening to us. I, I was... 
uh, in a meeting with a bunch of pastors, and one of the guys was talking about uh, race issues. And he was just talking about this, and I was sitting right next to him, and he was talking about blind spots in our life. And he, he says, you know, most people think their blind spot is like this big, and he put his fingers up right next to my eye like, like this, right, touching my face. I mean, he was, he was doing this, and he was talking about blind spots, and in that beautiful cadence of African-American preachers, he just kept talking about it and kept talking about it. He says, it's, you think it's this big, and, he's, and we were eating lunch, and so he says, but it's not really this big, and he pulls his paper plate out, and he says, it's this big, you know? He says, you think it's this big, but it's this big, and he keeps talking and talking, and he goes, it's not even this big, and he pulls a pizza box out like this, and he goes, it's this big, and it, this thing is just on me, and, and it's true. We think our blind spots are just this little, and it's not even a paper plate size that we can't see. It's, we're so blind to it, it's like, a pe- it's like a tarp over us, and we don't even know we have this in our life. I was with a young man last week, and, and such a wise young man, and we were talking about pretty deep things, and it was silent for a while, and this young man says to me, is there anything in my life, maybe one or two or three things, is there anything in my life that you think I need to change? And I thought, I can't believe he's asking me this right now. He's saying, I know I have blind spots, and they're the size of a pizza box, but you could see clear into my life. Is there one or two or three things in my life do you think I need to change? You know, everyone needs to have a small group of people that they trust enough, that they can be vulnerable enough with, that they can ask this question to. Is there anything in my life that you think I need to change? Everyone needs a person in their life, someone that they can build up enough trust to ask that question to, to get rid of the pizza box that's blinding them to their own sin. The Apostle Paul writes it in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. In the beginning you might say, I don't have a problem. But in the end you'll say, it's no use. It's no use. The second effect, I think, in, in this enslavement is that sin is a fatal attraction. It is. Sin, sin is a fatal attraction. In, in verse 25 in our text, it says, but you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. And, and you think, why would you do that? But sin is a fatal attraction. In that movie, many years ago, kind of helps us to understand what that fatal attraction is. But a fatal attraction is when a man or a woman is obsessed with something that's so deadly to their life. And they, they'll lie and they'll steal and they'll kill to get it. And beach chair psychologists will say, yes, that is obsessive. That is compulsive. And I see that in her and I see that in him. And they'll, I see that in people, but not in me. It's not true. Every human being is enslaved to sin. And I think every human being has something in their life that they say secretly, I must have it. I must have it. 
in the, a biblical analysis of the human condition is because we do not put God in the center of our lives, in Romans chapter 1, it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. See, the, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, he's not talking about just ancient pagan idol worshipers. He's talking about us. George MacDonald, the Scottish theologian, he says, anything that you cannot part with is your ruler. Anything that you can't part with is your ruler. So is there anything in your life, think about this, is there anything in your life, if you fail to acquire it or if you lose it, then you say to yourself, I have nothing to live for? Or what would you ditch God for in your life? Or if God let this terrible thing happen to me, then I want nothing to do with him. What is that in your life? Is, it, is, is your anger, is your, is your depression, is your discouragement, is your anxiety, is your worry driven by something that you must have in your life? These are the effects of sin. You see, sin has its own consequences and it has the power to enslave you. The, the, the third thing is this. Sin will leave you empty. Sin's going to leave you empty every single time. In verse 27 of our text, it says, They say to wood, you were my father, and to stone you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have many gods as you have towns. Now the effect of sin leaving you empty is disappointment. Write the word disappointment right next to that. Where are your gods when you're in need or when you're in trouble? Where are the things that you worship when you're in need and when you're in trouble? In a few chapters later in Jeremiah chapter 4, he kind of, he tells us about this. He, it says in Jeremiah 4.30, What are you doing, you devastated one? Why dress yourself in scarlet and put on jewels of gold? Why highlight your eyes with makeup? You adorn yourself in vain. Your lovers despise you, and they want to kill you. If you love and worship people, if you love and worship people, and if you love and worship things other than God, you will never satisfy them. You will never satisfy them. The, the approval guide. You'll, you're never going to satisfy that approval guide. For years I have battled with the approval guide in my life. And, and it sometimes creeps up even now. On a Sunday after I, I preach a message and I think, well, I, I worked hard on that and I think I delivered it well. And many of you will come up at the back door and you'll say, well, wonderful sermon, pastor. And I learned so much from that, and boy, that changed my life. And the, the reviews are glowing, you know, and I'm standing back there, and I think, well, this is a responsive congregation, and I feel really good about myself. And the approval God starts to say, come to me. And I know what really hits me. Here's how I know it really hits me. On Monday morning, my day off, when I try to separate myself from my work here, a day that that I, 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 I don't answer church emails or texts or people know not to call me or try to reach me on Monday. It's my day off. It's my 
day, I sanctify, I set apart myself on Monday, and, and I, but on Monday morning after a bad day of me trying to worship the approval God, early in the morning I'll wake up and I'll go work out. And the thing that hits me is, oh man, you better start studying for this Sunday, this coming Sunday. Because if you did really good yesterday, man, you're going to need to hit it out of the park on this day. And I start to think and I start to obsess about, oh man, I need to work hard so I can even do better. Because they loved yesterday and they're going to love this Sunday. And you're going to make sure they love this Sunday on my day off. There's the appearance God that many worship. And the appearance God, with the appearance God, you're never thin enough. You're never lean enough. You're never cute enough. You're never smart enough. You're never rich enough. And you will never satisfy the appearance God. And then there's the family God, which is disguised as a very virtuous father or mother in the South Bay and in our world. The family God is, is you see it at... Um, Little Company Mary Hospital or Torrance Memorial Medical Center. You just go where the babies are born and you see new moms and dads pick up that baby and they look deep in the eyes of that baby and they say, I will live for you. You have now brought me meaning in my life. And everyone knows that one day that child will despise you. One day that child will learn the word hate and they will say, I hate you, Mommy. I hate you, Daddy. You know it. Sin will leave you empty and the effect of that is disappointment. In our text, it has this kind of this strange phrase that says, they say to wood, you were my father. They say, to you, they say to stone, you gave me birth. And it's really talking about idols here. Now, idol makers do not create wood or they don't create stone, but they make idols out of wood and stone. And the subtlety here is this. There's nothing wrong with wood and there's nothing wrong with stone, like there's nothing wrong with children or beauty or achievement. They are good things. And there's nothing wrong with these good things. But if you set them up as your God, they will have enormous power over your life and, and they will never be satisfied. You see, false gods, here's how you can figure it out. If you're worshiping a false god, a false god will never be able to reach out to you and heal you when you're sick. A false god will never be able to comfort you when you're grieving. A false God will never be able to forgive you of your failure. If achievement is your God, how can they help you when you're sick? If, is, if approval is your God, how can they forgive you when you make a mistake? False gods can never help you with sickness or, or grief or, or um, failure. Now, with all of this sort of bad news to us, number four is this from our text. It's, it's, is there a cure for any of this? Is there a cure for, for sin? In, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 31 and 32, it says, You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say, we are free to roam? We will come to you no more. Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number." 
this is interesting. I, I think, well, have you ever seen a bride? Have you ever seen a bride walk down an idol, uh, aisle at her wedding ceremony? A bride walking down the aisle of her wedding ceremony and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I forgot to put on my makeup. Have you ever, you never see that. A bride does a lot of work to prepare herself for her wedding. And it's amazing the hours that they put in to prepare themselves for their wedding. But you know what? In 31 years of, of ministry, I have never seen a bride that failed to be beautiful. Never. Ever. Because she prepares herself for her groom. And God says... You know how to make yourself acceptable physically, but you don't know how to make yourself acceptable spiritually. You know why you're trying so hard to look good and to be acceptable, to be successful? Because you're trying to cover up your sense of inadequacy because you are inadequate. You are desperate for God. In Ephesians chapter 5, it it, the Apostle Paul sort of expands on these words of Jeremiah in, regarding the, the bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, how does Jesus Christ make you acceptable? He gave himself. Every other God wants something from you, wants to take something from you. But Jesus gave his life on the cross. And when we believe in him, when we put our trust in him, all of his work on the cross becomes our work. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks to this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are no religions that claim to have a God like this. The gods of other religions, they'll say, they're too great to die. But Jesus is so great that he died for us. Philosophies say, hey, do this and you're going to live, and if you fail to, that, to, to do that, you will die. But Jesus says, fail, and I'll die for you. Other religions want your life. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. And the reason you're distressed, and the reason you're depressed, the reason you are discouraged and fearful and anxious is that you're worshiping and serving and loving other gods. So this morning, as we begin this series, I encourage you, I exhort you to let go of other gods. Those other gods are enslaving you. Those other gods are holding you in bondage and promising you nothing but emptiness. So turn to Jesus, who is the rescuer, who is the life giver, and who will set you free, and he will fill you up. Amen? Amen.